0: Genesis 15, beginning in verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir, for your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven, and number the stars if you are able to number them. And he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord. And he counted it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, "O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? He said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land, from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Parasites, Perizzites, that's a different people. The Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word and we trust that in your word you speak. And so God, we pray today that you would not only speak your word to our hearts, Lord, but that you would empower us to believe your word to respond to your word today in faith. Lord, I pray that today you would change our hearts, that you would transform our lives, God, that you would call us into deeper intimacy with you. And if there's anyone, Lord, who is outside of faith in Christ today, Lord, that you would draw them near, that they would hear your good news And be saved, Lord. Teach us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, believing in God is not the same as believing God. Many people claim to believe in God. Many people claim to believe in a God. They've examined the, the, the testimonies, they, they've surveyed the evidence, they've decided that naturalism is not a sufficient explanation for the origins of the universe, and so they have decided that there must be some powerful creative entity behind the existence of the universe, behind life, somewhere behind the scenes. But that doesn't mean that this. they believe that this creator is still active in the universe. Many people believe that God, like a watch, wound creation up and is just letting it go. Letting us fend for ourselves, put things in motion, and letting it fall as, as it may. Or if they believe that God is still active in creation, they don't necessarily believe that God has spoken definitively to humanity regarding the way that we should live and the way that we should commune with him, the way that he desires to be worshipped. And even if he has spoken, believing in God doesn't necessarily mean that you believe his word enough to Live your life by it to obey his word. And so it's important to ask as a, as a, as a people, as a community, who believes that, that salvation comes by grace through faith. If you are here and you're not a believer, maybe you have heard that we need to believe in Jesus, to trust in the Lord and you will be saved. But what kind of faith does that require? What kind of faith is required for a right relationship with God? See, previously... Prior to our text in Genesis chapter 12, God promised to make Abram a great nation. He promised that he would give him a land and blessing that all the families of the earth would be blessed through Abram. That he was going to give him a family and make him, give him a great reputation. But but all of these promises, a reputation, uh, a, a great nation that that all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him all of these promises hinged upon that one promise that God that God would give Abram children without children they can't possess the land they can't fill the land without a legacy the families of the earth outside of Abram's own context could not be blessed by Abram and his family all of this hinged upon the promise that Abram would have children. And thus far, his wife Sarah was barren. She was not able to have children. I'm gonna to switch to this and see if the static goes away. There it is. Abram's wife Sarah, Sarah, was barren. And so Abram is coming to God right here, and God, God tells him what He's what He's promised him. The the word of the Lord comes to him in a vision and says, Fear not, Abram, I'm your shield. Your reward shall be very great. All of these things, that your blessing, shall be very great. And then Abram says, Oh, Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless. And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. So you see what's on Abram's mind. The reason God comes to him and says, "Do not fear," is because Abram's afraid. He says, "God, what, what will you what will you give me? You told me you were going to give me me children, and yet I'm I'm childless, and 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 I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm running out of time. Abram is is probably about seventy five years old at this time, and and he's like, I'm I'm getting old. I don't have much time for a family. God, what what will you give me? When will you fulfill this promise to me?" Have you ever wrestled with the tension between what God has promised in his word and your experiences? God, I know what your word says. I know that your word says you'll never leave me or forsake me, but I feel like you're so far away from me. God, I know that your word says that you will answer the prayers of your people but I feel like you're so far from hearing me. I feel like I'm talking talking to the ceiling here. Have you ever experienced in your life this tension between the promises of God and your life? Abram is wrestling with this tension between God, you have said that you would give me all of these things. And yet, You've not even given me the, the, the first piece of the puzzle. How will I know this? What will you give me? I'm running out of time. And so verse 4 says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man Eleazar of Damascus shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. And he said, so shall your offspring be. So God reaffirms that promise and says, Abram, don't be afraid. I know what you need. God knows what you need, Reality Carpenteria. Don't be afraid. He says, I know what what you need. He reaffirms the promises that seem impossible thus far. And then the word of God says, one of the most important passages, most important verses in all of the Old Testament, Abram believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Abram believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. Now, some of you have your Bibles open, and you don't have the English Standard Version or the New International Version. Maybe you've got the King James Version. Maybe you've got the New King James Version. Maybe you've got the New American Standard Bible on your lap, and you're reading there, Abram believed in the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. I do want to say that these translations, the NASB, the New King James, all of that is actually a more literal translation of what the Hebrew text says. In the Hebrew text, the word in is in there. Abram believed in the Lord and he credited it to him as righteousness. But here's the thing. The Hebrew culture does not have an understanding of the difference between believing in something and believing something. See, in English, in the, in the Western world, in our culture, there's a very big difference. Um, I know I have friends that believe in Bigfoot. You know who you are. But if Bigfoot showed up and started telling them how to live their life, they're not necessarily going to believe Bigfoot. There's a big difference in our culture between believing in something and believing something. But the Greek mind understood the difference. It's not just... English, 21st century Western Americans, the Greek mind understood the difference between, understood, believed that there was a difference between believing in something and believing something, which is why every time this passage is quoted in the New Testament, three times by Paul, once by James, in the Greek texts, it says, Abram believed the, the Lord. Abram believed God. And it was credited to him as righteousness. They understood that what was happening in this text was not Abram ascending to some intellectual knowledge of the existence of God. But he believed what God's words to him. He believed that God's words to him were true. And that God was telling him the truth and that God intended to fulfill these promises. Abram believed the Lord. Now, I'll prove it to you in the text. Up until this point in the text, did Abram believe in God? Did he believe that God existed? Yeah, absolutely. He believed that God was existed, that God existed. God called him out of his father's house, out, away from his kindred, out of his land, and Abram went as the Lord had said, he heard the voice of God, and he responded to the voice of God. He believed that God existed, that He was an entity that could communicate to him and lead him in his life. Abram believed in God, but along the way, Abram struggled to believe God. Okay, remember when when life got hard, there was a famine in the land. Abram believed, even though God said, "I will bless you." which involves protection, provision, and, and, and well-being. Abram uh, knew God's promise to, to, to bless him, but when there was a famine in the land, Abram believed that Egypt could take better care of him than God could. And so he we went to Egypt. We talked about that a few weeks ago. And on the way, he, he was afraid of the Egyptians, and so he lied about his wife because he believed that he could take care of himself better than God could. Abram believed in God, but he has been struggling to believe God and to trust that God would be able to fulfill his promises to him. And yet time and time again, even when Abram struggles to believe God, God continued to be faithful. And Abram learns faith over time. This is what I love about Abram. He's just like us. Abram learns faith. He learns belief. He learns his convictions. He learns God's faithfulness to him through his failure and God's faithfulness. And we so often continue to learn God's faithfulness through our failure because God will continue to be faithful to his people. And so here in this text, there is a shift in Abram's relationship with God. This is a turning point in Abram's life and in his relationship with God. He goes from believing in God. And even being willing to to follow God and kind of see where this thing goes. He had great courage. He goes from believing in God to believing God. Now, many people believe in God, believe in a God, but it's not the God of the Bible. Many people will claim that they even believe in the God of the Bible because they like some of what the Bible has to say. And they kind of like Jesus and they like the things that Jesus said and they like the things that Jesus did. But if you do not believe the word of God, if you do not believe the scriptures, if you do not take the Bible as God's word and believe the word of God, then you might not believe in the God of the Bible. You believe maybe in a God of your own making and you cherry pick some of the things in the Bible and some of the things from culture and some of the things of popular opinion. And you put together this concept of God, but it's not God you believe, it's yourself that you believe. It's, it's yourself that you place in authority over the text to determine what's true and what's not true, what's right, what's wrong, what, what we need to believe and what we don't need to believe. when. God has communicated definitively to humanity regarding what we believe about him and how we should live, and so if we don't actually believe the scriptures, we don't actually believe in we don't actually believe God, we might believe in God, but we're not believing him and so Abram believes the Lord, he believes his word, he believes the promises that God makes to him, and because of this faith because of his belief, he's declared to be. Righteous. Now, righteousness, contrary to popular opinion, does not mean that you do everything right. Righteousness means that you live in right relationships with God, with others, and with creation. Righteousness is enjoying this right relationship with God, conducting yourself in faithfulness to God, conducting yourself in love to other people and in stewardship of the creation. Righteousness means living in right relationships. See, humanity was made to live in right relationship with God, with one another, and with the creation. Think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve were created to trust God, to worship God, to know and believe that God alone understood good and evil and to trust that God would provide the good and protect them from what was evil. They were made to live in this right relationship, this trusting relationship with God. And they were made to live in unity with one another. And they were made to love and serve and bless the creation. This, they were made in righteousness. And they existed in the Garden of Eden in right relationships with God and everything that God had made. Now, did Adam and Eve believe in God? yeah you betcha he 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 made them they walked in the garden with him god he Adam stood before God and named all of the animals with God there god, Adam saw God bring his wife to him, and Eve, like a father walking his daughter down the aisle, is being walked to Adam by God, they absolutely had concrete evidence of the existence of God, but when push came to shove underneath the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, who did they believe? They believed the serpent. God had said, if you eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you will surely die. And the serpent said, no, you won't. And because the serpent's words resonated with their own desires, they believed the serpent and they believed their own desires and they did what they wanted. They wanted the right to choose between good and evil themselves. And because they did not believe God, they disobeyed God and their presence with God and with one another was broken. They hid from God, they hid from one another, and God sent them out of the Garden of Eden to fend for themselves in the world. They lived in righteousness, right relationships, but a lack of faith led to disobedience, which led to an alienation between themselves and God and an alienation between one another. See, we were made to live by faith in God, trusting God to protect us and provide for us, to provide the good and protect us from what is not good. And that faith enabled humanity to continue living in God's presence. But a lack of faith demonstrated by disobedience resulted in humanity's distancing from God. And so here, Abram, Unlike Adam and Eve, Abram lives in this world alienated from God. But because Abram believes God, he experiences a reversal of the fall. Righteousness is restored to Abram. The righteousness that humanity lost in the garden is restored to Abram through faith. And instead of separation and alienation from disobedience and disbelief, Abram receives a right relationship with God through faith, even though he will continue to struggle with that faith. Abram will continue to struggle uh, uh, to live in light of that faith right away, immediately after following this declaration of righteousness. Abram's got questions. Notice this Abram is declared righteous, but believing, isn't easy. Genesis 15, seven through eight says, and he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. And then immediately Abram cuts him off and says, but he said, Oh Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? Wait, I thought he believed him. I thought he believed that God would give him the land. And here he's still, he's still wrestling. He's still wrestling with what God is promising. He's got questions. See, Abram is wrestling. Abram is needing assurance. He's asking God for assurance. How will I know? How am I to know that I will possess it? And God never rebukes him for coming to him with questions because Abram's questions are coming from faith. Let's contrast this with Luke 1, 18 through 20. Um, Zechariah is a priest in God's temple. And he's ministering to the Lord. And an angel appears to Zechariah and tells him that his wife, who is also barren, as Abram's wife was, will give birth to John the Baptist. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is advanced in years. Sounds very similar to Abram's situation. and sounds very similar to Abram's question. But the angel's response tells us that something's off. Listen, the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. What's the difference? Abram's question is coming to God in faith. And Zechariah's question is coming from a place of doubt and disbelief. See, we are all invited to bring our questions to the Lord. There is stuff in this book and in life that is hard to understand. One of my favorite passages in all of scripture is when the apostle Peter tells the people he's writing to in, in, uh, in one of his epistles, he says, you know, some of the stuff that our brother Paul writes is hard to understand. And the church of God said, amen. It's it's There is stuff in here that is hard to understand. And so we are invited to come to God with all of our questions. You don't need to feel bad for coming to God and saying, God, I would love for you to explain this to me. Or I'd love for you to help me understand this. Or I'd love to know why you've called me to live this way. Or why, you know, uh, I'd, love, I'd love to know you more and your, your, your character more. I'm, I'm struggling with this tension between your love and your wrath. We're invited to come to God with all of our questions. So long as we come to God in faith. See, we ask Theologians ask God a lot of questions, but theology is faith-seeking understanding. It's coming to God in faith and saying, I want to understand. I want to know more. I want to, I want to grasp the deep things of God. It's coming to God in faith, in a desire to grow in relationship with him. But there are some questions that come from disbelief. It's not faith seeking understanding. It's doubt seeking an excuse. There's a lot of that happening in our culture right now. It's the difference between what the serpent says to Adam and Eve under the tree. Did God really say that you shouldn't eat this? He questions God's word. He he puts doubt in their minds. It's the difference between that and what Jesus says. You have heard that it was said of old. This. But I tell you. This. It's not doubting God's word. It's doubting man's interpretation of God's word. And allowing God to clarify. And bring conviction and truth. Into our hearts. Faith seeks understanding and doubt and disbelief seeks an excuse or or requires God to prove himself to us. In the New Testament, people come to Jesus. The, The people who come to Jesus in faith are never turned away from Christ. But lots of people come to Jesus in doubt, asking Jesus to prove himself to them. Give us a sign, prove who you are. And Jesus doesn't give them anything. He says, a a warped and twisted generation asks for a sign. None will be given, but the sign of Jonah. Hey, when I raise from the dead, then you'll know. Then you'll know. There are things in scripture that are hard to believe. Maybe some of it's just hard to understand. And so you you grapple with, with the text, seeking understanding. In the text, some of the things are hard to believe because we don't see in our lives the same kind of miraculous things that Scripture says happens when God shows up. We don't see the miracles. And so we're holding the tension or not holding the tension between our experience and what Scripture says. And we're choosing to believe our experiences and saying, well, miracles don't happen. God can't interact in my, in my world because I, I just don't see it. And it's hard to believe, it's hard to understand what we read. In the text, some of what's difficult to believe is, is because some of the declarations in scripture sound too good to be true. Really God, I can be saved from hell just from believing. It's too good to be true. That sounds, it sounds too good to be true. And we wrestle with that. People say, well, it's just a crutch. It's just to give hope to a hopeless world. And we wrestle with it. Sometimes we struggle to believe the things in the Bible because they offend us. Okay, if you've never read the Bible and come across something that offended you or, or shocked you that God would, would, would say such a thing, you might be doing it wrong. In, in our flesh, in our sinful nature, in our desire to build a kingdom for ourselves, we come across things in the text that we don't want to hear. I'm not just talking about people who don't believe, I'm talking about believers. Coming across something and go, I don't want to hear that. I really don't want to hear that right now in my life, because that would require I do something different than I want to do. And so we struggle to believe that. Isaiah 1.18, God says to Isaiah, come now, let us reason together. God invites us to seek understanding in faith. But he will not honor a disbelieving heart looking to satisfy ourselves. See, Abram struggles for assurance. He believes, but he's, but he's struggling for assurance. He believes, but he wants God to help his unbelief. And God doesn't say, how dare you question me? Are you kidding me, Abram? I'm God. How, how dare you make me prove myself to you? No, he doesn't. He doesn't say that. He gives Abram the assurance that he's asking for. God gives Abram the assurance that he needs. God gives Abram assurance in the form of a covenant. A covenant is a binding relationship between two parties that are based on promises and sealed with a sacrifice. A covenant is a binding relationship. We don't have Covenants in our culture. We have contracts. In a contract. Think of think of a, a marriage contract, a marriage covenant. Right. There are contractual ev- elements to a marriage covenant, but a contract is designed to protect two individuals. If one person doesn't uphold their end of the bargain, then the other person is free from their responsibility. But a covenant is designed so that both parties will protect the union will protect the partnership. Their commitment is to the unity, not just to their own best interests. And so God makes a covenant with Abram, a binding relationship. And so Abraham can trust God to fulfill his promises because God is binding himself to his promises by his oath. God is binding himself to his promises, to this covenant. And so many people will will say, God said it, I believe it. That settles it. What what should I believe about this thing? God's word says it, I believe it and that settles the issue. I'm not even going to question not even going to question it. That's awesome. If you can do that on all things, that's great. But I want us to see here is that when Abram comes to God with questions, God doesn't respond by 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 saying, "How dare you, Abram?" He responds by giving him a covenant he tells Abram to get all of these animals and to and to cut them in half and to and to set them uh, apart from one another and in in this ancient world covenants were often made by taking these sacrifices and cutting them in half, in half and separating the parts from one another and then both members both covenant parties making this covenant together would would pronounce the commitments of the covenant. As they walked between the pieces, as if to say, if we do not uphold our end of the bargain, if we are not faithful to the covenant, then may I be like these pieces of these animals. If I don't uphold my end of the bargain, may I become like these animals. May I be cut in two. May my life be destroyed. If I'm unfaithful, may I die. And so Abram's responsibility to the covenant is the faith that he's already demonstrated. And God's responsibility to the covenant is to do what he said he would do. And if Abram is unfaithful to the covenant, he should experience the curse of the covenant. He should become like these sacrifices. And if God is unfaithful to the covenant, he should experience the curse of the covenant. God should become like these sacrifices. And so Abram's assurance that God will do the things that he promised is because God has sworn on his life that he would. The reason Abram can know that God will be faithful is because God put his life on it. And it was contractually binding, legally binding. Covenants in the ancient world, if they weren't upheld, they were, they were enforced by like the military. They would come in and, and force covenant uh, faithfulness. God is putting his life on the line. If Abram is unfaithful to the covenant, he should be destroyed. If God is unfaithful to the covenant. He should be destroyed. And yet, Abram will be unfaithful. Next week, we're going to talk about Abram's biggest blunder of all time. After God makes the covenant with him. Abram is going to falter. He's going to fail. And should he be destroyed? No. Because God alone passes through the pieces of the covenant. It says that God puts Abram in a deep sleep. He puts Abram in this trance. And Abram sees this smoking fire pot, this flaming torch. In scripture, the presence of God is often depicted by fire and smoke. And so Abram sees this fire and smoke. And while he's asleep in this trance on the outside of the pieces of the sacrifice, God alone passes through the pieces of the sacrifice. And by doing so, God is taking responsibility for both sides of the covenant upon himself. He's saying, Abram, if I don't keep my end of the covenant, may I become like these pieces. And Abram, if you don't uphold your end of the covenant, may I become like these pieces. May I be destroyed. If I don't uphold my end of the bargain, regardless of what you do, I will do what I promised no matter what. This is why. A right relationship with God comes by faith alone. Abram believed God and he counted it to him as righteousness. See, our right relationship with God is not based on how righteous you are from day to day. Abram will falter. He'll fail. We falter and we fail. But it's not determined by the quantity of your faith. Your righteousness, your right standing before God, is not determined by the quality of your faith. It is determined by the object of your faith. Abram believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you believe God, the object of your faith, it is credited to you as righteousness. Your right standing before God is based on On faith, because God takes the responsibility for everything else, regardless of what your life looks like. God alone passes through the pieces of the sacrifices. And generations later, after there's tons of failure, not just by Abram, but Abram's entire family will fail. They'll worship other gods. They'll go astray. God will kick them out of the land and they'll still continue to make it about themselves and not about worship, not about faith in God. Generations after God makes the covenant with Abram and passes through the sacrifices alone, God fulfills that covenant by suffering on the cross alone. See, in Christ, God suffered the covenant curse that Abram and everyone else deserves. God wasn't just blowing smoke. He said, if you're unfaithful, if your family's unfaithful, if your children are unfaithful, if everyone who believes in me is unfaithful, it doesn't matter. I will be destroyed so that you won't have to be. And on the cross, Christ is. On the cross, Christ is is destroyed so that you don't have to be. So that through faith, you can experience a right standing with God. And then Christ raised from the dead so that that right standing with God won't just be for a lifetime, but for all eternity. That if you trust in Christ, not just believe that he was a historical figure who actually existed, but if you believe that he is who he says he is and that he did what he said he would do. If you confess with your mouth that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's not my word. That is straight from the mouth of God. It is by grace that we are saved through faith And that's not of our own doing. It is a gift from God so that no one can boast. Church, don't be content with believing in God. Believe him. James says that even the demons believe that God exists and shudder. But faith is believing that he has spoken and that his word is true, which means that like Abram, we are to submit ourselves to God's word and to allow God's word to guide us, to illuminate the darkness of life and to lead us in the way that we live. We submit ourselves to God's word. And ultimately scripture says that Jesus is the word of God. That he is the incarnate word of God. And so don't just believe in God, believe Jesus. Jesus says, believe in God and also in me. Believe Jesus. Believe that he died for your sins. Believe that his word is true. Believe that he has made you righteous. That on your worst day, he has made you righteous. And that on your best day, You're not any more righteous than you were on the day before. See, that's hard for us to accept. See, in my flesh, I want to be held responsible for my actions, not because I want to be punished for my sin, but because I want to be rewarded for my righteousness. But you can't have one without the other. If God is going to regard you based on your behavior, then you have to take it all hook, line, and sinker. And if you do not trust in Jesus, then you will be regarded by your own actions, your failures, as well as your righteousness. And it's not going to measure up. I want to be rewarded for my righteousness. I want God to come alongside me and go like, good job, Adam. Here's a cookie. Here's a little reward. Here's a little something special just for you because you're really good. They over there, they just believe. But you, (laughs) I know some of you, you you hear the same voice in your head. You know what I'm talking about. On your best day, not any more righteous than you were on your worst day. Because God says that if you believe, it's credited to you as righteousness. And so because of this, because we believe God, because we believe his word, and we believe that we are righteous in Christ, then we obey God's word. Not so that we can earn a greater righteousness, but we obey God's word so that we can enjoy the blessing of righteousness. Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you have, have we, we, all, we all struggle in many ways, scripture says. We don't all have the same struggles, but all of our struggles come from sin. They come from this desire to serve ourselves, this disbelief that God is good enough. And so we struggle in our lives trying to, 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 to do the right thing and trying to, you know, serve ourselves, but serve God and all of these things. And you know that when you're struggling, you know the joy, when, not when you're struggling, you know when you're failing. We call it a struggle. I've just been struggling with this. That's a euphemism for I'm just caving to the sin and temptation of this. When we're caving to sin and temptation, we feel the life and the joy and the peace in our relationship with God just sapped from us. Not because God has taken the relationship away, but because we're struggling to experience the blessing of that relationship. And you know that when Peter says, repent so that times of refreshing may come, you've experienced that. When you turn from that sin and you're experiencing times of victory over that sin, you know the freedom and the peace and the joy and the blessing that comes from that. Not because God's given you an extra special, you know, addition to your right standing before him, but because the you the the there's been a removal of the things separating the experience of the blessing. Don't just receive the right relationship with God, but experience the blessing of right relationship with God by not just believing His words, but doing them. James says, "Don't just be hearers of the word only, but be doers of the word. Let the word of God change and transform your life." Let your life be brought into obedience to the word of God. Not to earn your relationship, but from that relationship. Changes everything when we know what God has done for us and when we put our faith in that. So I just want to close with a question. God has spoken in a variety of ways throughout his history with his people. He's spoken in a a theophany, a manifestation of his presence, as he does with Abram in our text. He shows up sometimes physically with an audible voice, and he speaks to his people. Sometimes God speaks to his people through an intermediary, through an angel or through a prophet. God speaks to his people in the word of God, and ultimately God has spoken to us in Christ. That Jesus is the word of God. And so I just want to ask you, in your life right now, in the thing that you're wrestling with, the struggle that you're having, whether it's wisdom that you need, whether it's 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 boldness that you need, courage that you need, understanding that you need, whatever that thing is in your life right now that you wrestle with before God. What form of God's communication would you need to settle the issue? Do you need God to show up in a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch? Do you need God to show up with an audible voice in your life? Do you need God to to bring an angel into your room? Do you need God to send a trusted friend with, with thus saith the Lord? Or is the word of God enough? Because listen, if God's word in scripture is not enough regarding the things that he has clearly spoken about. Yes, the world tells us that this is not true. And that this is an antiquated, outdated book that can't be trusted. Needs to be brought up to date. That's what the world says. And we're caught between our desires and, and, and what the world says and yet what the word of God says. And if we are not willing to believe what God's word says and to obey it, it doesn't matter what form of God's communication, his instruction comes to you, because it's not about what you believe anymore. It's about your desire. The reason Adam and Eve believed the serpent was because he told them what they wanted to hear. She saw that the fruit was pleasing to the eye and good for food and desirable to make one wise. She wanted it. The serpent gave her a justification to take it. Look, it is ridiculous right now in our world, the justification that the world will give you to take whatever you want. And if the word of God is not not enough to convince you that God's desire contradicts the desire of the world, then it doesn't matter if an angel were to show up to you in your room, you would justify it and, and explain it away in some other way because it's not about belief, it's about desire. And so believe in God. Believe that he is greater than anything in the world. Because if you believe that God is greater than anything in the world, then what you will desire is God more than anything in the world. Jesus is our greatest treasure. Intimacy with him is our greatest good. His presence is the best thing we have going for us. And so we believe and we obey not to earn status with him, but because he has graciously given us right standing before him. And so whatever God is speaking to you, whatever, whatever correction he wants to make in your life, wherever he is asking you to trust him as to why he's not allowing a certain thing or why his instruction is different than the world's instruction, Whatever that tension point is with God, whatever he's speaking to you, trust in Jesus. That regardless of what your experience is, his declaration is true. That by grace you have been saved through faith. And you won't just experience a right stand or receive a right standing with God. You will experience the blessing of a right standing with God. And so, Father, we ask you right now that by your spirit, you would speak these things deep into our hearts and empower us not just to believe in you, but to believe you And to believe your word and Holy Spirit give us power for courage, power to obey, power to respond to these things because we believe that intimacy with you is greater than, than obeying the world and obeying all the desires that it tells us that we should enjoy. And God, right now in this time, as we have the response, the opportunity to respond, I pray that that truth of Jesus, that he not only passed through the the, the sacrifices, but he passed through death on our behalf. That we would see that he is the greatest good. And that we would stop at nothing to experience the blessing that he gives. Holy Spirit, right now, change in us what doesn't want to believe. Change in us, that thing that that doesn't want to respond. Change in us, the the desires to, to protect ourselves and give us a greater desire for you. We trust you. We love you. We want what you want for us. God, may we experience your goodness as we worship you in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.